Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded over half a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 209 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and in this week's episode, bikepacking, interviews from the trail. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. In this episode, I bring you a series of on-trail recordings that I made on my recent bikepacking trip. From my perspective, I'm very much a hiker. Bikepacking is just an occasional thing that I'll go through and do. So I don't claim to be an expert on this. But I decided to do part of the Canberra Centenary Trail, the 145-kilometre multi-use trail that runs through Canberra or around Canberra. And having done this as a hiker... And then now having done a section of it as a bikepacker, I had two very different experiences and I learned the hard way in some cases about bikepacking and making assumptions. So we hope you enjoy this episode. It's just before one o'clock on Friday afternoon and I finished work for the day, had lunch, uh, already packed and finished this morning. And I'm just doing some last minute recordings and taking some photos before I head off on my bike packing trip for the weekend. My plan is to do a section of the Canberra Centenary Trail, which is a 145 kilometer trail. Um, had it have been a three day long weekend, I probably would have looked at doing the entire trip. Uh, but given that the long weekend is actually, or well, there is no long weekend, it's a holiday during the week. I'm uh, I'm just going to do a section of this trail today. I'm or tonight. I'm staying at the northern campground, uh, which from my house, which is close to near the Canberra War Memorial, I've got about a kilometre ride to get there, and that's when I'll connect in with the trail. And I've got around about a total of 28 kilometres today. I expect to actually get to the northern campground, uh, you know, even if I travel 10 kilometres an hour, that's roughly three hours. I know I've got at least one section where there's no way I'm going to be riding uphill. Uh, it's just too steep. So I'm going to be uh, walking for a, for a short section. But otherwise, um, I'll be riding for much of the trip. I'm familiar with the trail from here to the northern campground, even if I haven't done all of it before. Uh, as a hike or as a walk uh, because there are some different sections that don't go over the top of the mountain as far as the cycling route is concerned. So when I walked this this walk previously uh, I'd walk over the top of Mount Ainsley and Mount Majura. The trail just isn't suitable for that and also it's, it'd be way too steep. I'd be pushing the bike uphill anyway. So um, management road for most of it. I do have some track later on this afternoon and the critical timing for me is the, the 
nature reserve at Mulligan's Flat. They do lock the gates at night time, but from memory, it's around about five or six o'clock onwards that it's open till. So I'm hoping to be at the northern campground, probably around about, uh, if I say three hours, three to four hours. So certainly by five o'clock, but I'm hoping by about four, four thirty. Talk to you later. It's 2.53. I've been going for just on two hours, uh, stopping and having a break. Um, been a hard slog, actually. I did walk this a few years ago, and when you walk it, you tend to look at it in a very different light. From my perspective, this is one of two directions I could have come into the northern campground. And uh, I think uh, I've picked from memory, I've actually picked the hardest way. Uh, the trail has been impacted by a lot of rain over the last 12 months or so. And while from a walking perspective, it's not a problem. From a riding a bike perspective, yeah, there's a lot of sections where you just couldn't uh, ride uphill. You couldn't get enough grip. There's too many ruts, too many rock changes. It's, it's almost like you need four-wheel drive and you know, a four-wheel drive bike in some areas. Um, because they just wasn't able to get up and over or get down and over the rocks. So I'm doing more walking than I expected to. Weather's a bit warmer. It was supposed to be around about 25 degrees today, and I think uh, uh, it's probably around about that, but it's certainly feeling pretty warm given the exercise I'm doing. Uh, You may be able to hear the cars in the background. I'm probably only uh, uh, 50, 60 metres away from the major road. In fact, this is the highway going from Canberra up through to Sydney. I've got probably, uh, I think probably 400 or 500 metres where I go under one of the connecting roads and get underneath this highway uh, and get onto the other side and start heading towards Mulligan's Flat and the northern campground. From memory again, uh, this is certainly the hardest part of this section. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm on Management Road, I'm going through Mulligan's Flat, uh, I'm on Management Road again after that, uh, and then I've got a hard-ish section with trail, but the trail is in reasonably good condition compared to what it is here at the moment. So yeah, it's a, it's a hard slog, I'm certainly heading my keep at the moment. Talk to you later. It's 4.30, I'm just sitting here in Ford, just at the parking area, or one of the parking areas to access Mulligan's Flat Reserve. Uh, There's a picnic area with a nice shady shelter, a picnic table, a couple of seats, and also some water. Now the water's aimed for dogs, uh, because it's over a bowl, but in all honesty, um, you know, it's uh, it's an ideal place to fill up my my water bladder. It seems to be much hotter than I was expecting today, and it was supposed to be around about 25 degrees, uh, and surprisingly enough, it's 22 degrees, but it just feels so much hotter than that, uh, and probably because I've been cycling and pushing myself quite hard. One thing that I didn't mention in the last recording, and this is always an issue when we did the, um, the podcast and the article introducing bikepacking, was you travel at a different speed, it's not as easy or not as not as you've got to be more conscious about taking photos and certainly from my perspective if I was walking this I'd be taking um, you know averaging sort of a 100 to 120 photos a day whereas here it's only when I stop and get off my bike and take a break that I get my camera out so yeah this is one of the disadvantages of bikepacking 
um, you tend to be so focused on what you're doing and not getting the camera out unless you're going really slowly. The conditions continued on from what I was talking about last time. This is definitely the most difficult section to do on this trail as a bike pack or a bike ride. And I, I was thinking that when you're walking, you don't tend to think about what it would be like to cycle. Uh, it's just all like, okay, this, it is what it is. This is what it's like to walk, and it's not a big issue. But um, there's some, a lot of washed-out tracks uh, it's a lot of areas where um, you, know, you, you just virtually had to have the brakes on all the way down the hill and sometimes there were just rock, no one say drop-offs, but they're, they're not the sort of thing you want to go over on a bike because you're likely to lose traction and go sideways. From here, I've got a long stretch of around about 500 metres to get me to the car park at Mulligan's Flat where we normally walk to the northern campground. Uh, and from memory, the Centenary Trail goes up the road, or follows along up the road, uh, goes to the left and then comes across. So rather than being a uh, a gentle sort of climb uh, three quarters of the way, then a steep climb if you're walking, in this case here, you're cycling, you don't want to be doing that. So um, you, you have a much easier but longer uh, run to get through there. So I've probably got around about four kilometres left out of the 28 uh, for today. Um, and this has really taken it out of me between the heat. I'm looking forward to tomorrow morning when I start off again. And tomorrow will be my finishing point. Um, and, um, yeah, I think getting up early in the morning when it's nice and cool, not having to worry about the heat is a big plus. OK, I'll have a bit more to drink, fill up my water bladder and head on. It's just on 7 o'clock. Uh, I've been at the northern campground probably for about an hour and five minutes. Uh, I just had a little rest. I uh, gave my wife a call because the phone signal is reasonably good out here. Uh, and uh, uh, then set up my tent and my sleeping bag and my, uh, my sleeping mat. So pretty much I'm ready to go to bed whenever I want to. From a camping perspective, this is a late night for me because I've still got to make dinner, uh, which I'll do after I've done this recording. I think by the time that I actually finish dinner and then get to bed, it's probably going to be around about 8 o'clock. Um, the rest of the trip from my last recording to here, I decided to pick the hard route, which meant I walked my bike up the hill. It was just no way knowing anybody could actually ride up the, the gravel and uh, rock road that's normally the way you walk up. There was an alternate route, uh, which is the formal trail itself, and it takes you loops around and makes it much easier. Uh, but I'm going to go down that one. Once I'd got to the top, I got back onto my bike and started riding for a fair amount of the flat area uh, and then part of the downhill area. And then I had to get off and walk my bike from there on. Um, I had a couple of circumstances or a couple of situations where um, both brakes on and the bike was still moving. There's just this fine pea gravel on this track. So I think if you know, there had been a bit of rain, uh, and there has been over the last week in all honesty, but if the soil was a bit moister uh, and a bit more compact because of the rain, uh, it would be a bit easier. There's a sign as you come right down close to coming into the camping area, which is sharp turn, and it's almost a 90-degree turn, and it's uh, almost like a camber 
you'd expect on a uh, a mountain bike racing track, uh, and I wasn't game to come flying down that and do a, co- a loop around. Uh, my my skills just aren't good enough for that, so I just got off and walked down. Uh, and even you know when I had just one brake on uh, and holding the brake firmly on, the uh, actual bike itself was still moving. So uh, it shows you what it was like. Put me on top of the bike, then it just moved too quickly. The Northern Campground, and I'll put a link to our write-up of this campground, uh, it's a really good site for uh, uh, people who haven't camped before uh, because there's a toilet out here, there's water. Uh, now, the recommendation is not to drink the water, so you either need to bring a filter or boil the water, and I'm boiling uh, is what I'm going to end up doing. And the shelter itself has uh, space for really a tent on one side and a tent on the other side with a roof over the top of it. I've slept under there. I've slept under the under on the actual table, and it's it's not actually a, a bench and t- chairs. It's more large uh, platform, uh, and it just happens to work quite well if you've got a freestanding tent. Uh, and then I've also slept on the grassy areas, but the one disadvantage of this site is it's sloping. Um, the government need to come in and do some uh, put some flatter areas in. They don't necessarily have to put a another shelter in, uh, but they just need to get a bobcat in and just to flatten out a few areas because you know this paddock's probably uh, I'd say 100 meters by 70 meters, uh, and there's virtually no flat pieces of ground uh, unless you want to camp five metres away from the toilet. Um, and that, uh, and there's one right down near the fence would also work as well. But, yeah, there's, there's limited uh, flat camping areas. Pretty broad bugger, I suppose. I ended up doing 27.2 kilometres, and that was from my house, which was about a kilometre away from uh, the War Memorial. Um, uh, and based on a five-hour trip for 27 kilometres, I was basically doing tiny bit over five kilometres per hour. Uh, in, fact, in fact, I'd say five and a half kilometres per hour, which isn't particularly fast, uh, and there were certainly times where I was going a lot faster than that. Uh, but uh, as I said, there were a few situations where I had to actually walk my bike uh, uphill and downhill, and that just slowed the whole process down. It would have been quicker from a, um, at least in those areas, walking. Uh, I must admit, if I was walking from home to here, um, and even if I do, yeah, at, at, at my maximum speed really is probably about four, four and a half kilometres per hour. So it wasn't that much faster on a bike because of the conditions of the track. And as I mentioned, the, the section I've chosen to do is probably the hardest uh, for mountain bikes or bikes. Uh, but, you know, that's where the campsite is. So I potentially could have come in from Hall, you know, got dropped off at Hall and ridden my bike in. That would have been a much better trip in. And, and I would have expected the uh, trail to be better. But who knows? It could have been just as bad. Okay, I'm going to go through and do my dinner and then I'll head to bed. It's quarter past eight. I'm in my tent, just having a lie down, having a rest. Um, I'm just waiting for it to get dark, roughly in another 45 minutes or so, and I'll head off to bed. I only tend to have short night's sleeps anyway. Uh, my normal get-up time is sometime between sort of 4.30 and quarter past five, depending on what I'm doing. Um, and I think, given that I'm going to bed this early, normally I'll be in bed by sort of 9.30, Um, I would expect to probably be asleep by then. It's 
just on seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, I've been up for or awake for a couple of hours, uh, just lying in the tent, uh, just doing some, having a look at some stuff on my phone, uh, waiting for the uh, the sun to come up. And the sun really um, is coming up behind a ridge line of hills just behind the campground. So even though it's been light for a few hours, the sun hasn't directly hit me yet. Uh, it's just probably another 15 minutes I'll be up over the top of the trees. Had a reasonably good sleep last night, but again, typically when I go to bed early, uh, and when I say early, that was 8 o'clock for me last night, uh, I only operate on around about 6 hours sleep, so I tend to wake up fairly regularly, um, including at around about just before 11 o'clock, a cyclist came through who I thought was going to be camping here last night, but was just using the bathroom, uh, came came back out, got his bike and headed off again, so um, interesting, doing a a night bike ride in, in, you know, in the, at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, so I'm the only one here this morning, which is a rarity. Uh, typically, I'll uh, have someone turn up. And again, particularly because it is summer, uh, I would have expected at least one or two other people to be here, but obviously not. Um, I'm heading back up the hill the way I came. Uh, so I've got around about four kilometres to go, and that'll finish me off for the day. And I'm getting a lift back home again uh, uh, once I get back to the uh, the car park. So all up, it'll trip will be roughly around about 31, uh, 32 kilometres. Um, and it's a, it's a physically demanding trip, there's no doubt about that. Okay, talk to you later. It's about 10 to 7, so I've been going for around about 45 minutes uh, back here at the car park where Jules picking me up. So all up I did roughly around about four and a half kilometres this morning. Uh, pushing the bike uphill because again it was just just the way the, uh, the trail was set out. It's designed really for coming down, not going up. Uh, but once I got up to the top area it was flat, I was pretty much on the bike from there. Um, I did stick to the Centenary Trail this time, uh, and that took me around the valley uh, instead of having this really steep, sharp incline that I had yesterday, or incline, decline. Um, much easier travelling in cooler weather. Uh, don't get so hot and sweaty. Don't get the energy taken out of you so much. So uh, all up, good. But yeah, definitely... Uh, a physical challenge. My hiking fitness is not what what it should be, but I think it would have been an easier hike than it would have been a uh, an easier uh, bike ride. As mentioned, this is the the first real overnight uh, bike packing trip that I've done before, uh, and while I don't spend a lot of time on the management roads in my local area. Um, this was a bit of a, a difference for me uh, and uh, in some respects a bit of a surprise as well. All up this trip to from home uh, to the War Memorial, which was about a kilometre away, uh, onto the northern campground and then back to the pickup point was roughly around about 32 or just about, I think it was 32.2 kilometres overall. Uh, with the first day being 27.2 kilometres. 
There were things that really surprised me on this trip and there were things that I weren't expecting. And there also were some things that I was expecting and totally went out of my mind and just forgot all about. When I left home, I left home at around about quarter to one uh, and I expected the whole trip to take me around about three, uh, three hours roughly, maybe three and a half hours. It took me closer to around about five hours, five and a half hours and there are a few reasons for that. I expected to be able to travel at 10 kilometres per hour, and that's not an unrealistic sort of figure, given that uh, my speed that I work on when I'm doing long-distance hiking, I expect to travel 3.75 kilometres per hour. So being on a bike, uh, I just expected to be able to travel uh, faster. And certainly when I'm travelling around our local lake, which is around about a 26-kilometre trip, uh, that takes me around about an hour and a half but that's on bitumen and concrete road. In this case through here, uh, there were some uh, periods along the way that I was travelling probably around about 20 kilometres an hour uh, on bike paths as I was going through, uh, but there are also periods where I was travelling much slower. And for me, this was something I hadn't actually planned on. I had done sections of this trip before, but not the whole trip out. I, uh, From my perspective, uh, the management roads were fine. They weren't too much of an issue. Uh, but there were some sections that really surprised me. We've had quite a lot of rain in the Canberra region, like much of Australia in the last six to eight months. Uh, and even though they, this was a double-width management road, um, there were periods where it was actually quite steep and there was rock and from a walking perspective, it wasn't too much of an issue. But as soon as I got onto a bike, um, I found there were some sections where I really had to slow down. Uh, otherwise, if I had have hit a rock or a ledge at the wrong speed or the wrong angle, I would have come off my bike. And I just wasn't really prepared for that. There were also sections of hiking trail that I was traveling on. Uh, and in some areas, these were actually really bad. Um, there were ruts caused from the rain and you could see where the water had run off and had uh, uh, put some you know, ruts and divots and some quite difficult spots in the trail. So that really did slow me down as well. And I think the overall conditions surprised me quite a lot. I'd walked this trail in full uh, a few years ago. And when you're walking, you tend not to think too much about what's going on. You know, it's as a walking trail, it's not a real issue. You can step up and over things. You can step around things quite easily. But when you're on a bike, uh, you're limited to where you can move. And particularly when you get to single tread trail, it's a lot harder to do that. I ended up on the first day averaging around about five and a half kilometres per hour, which is, from my perspective, is reasonably slow on a bike. The reason I chose to do this particular trip was I wanted to go from home, stay at the northern campground, which is the only camping area, designated camping area on this whole trail, and then sort of head back home after that. The thing that surprised me was, from a walking perspective, I just didn't think about the trail itself. It's just, it is what it is, and it was easy enough to do, and I didn't think too much about it. What I really should have thought about, and I think this is a, when I get on to talking about lessons learned, was that when you do this track, or any track for that matter, as a walking trip, that's how you tend to look at it. 
And I must admit, when I've done this trip previously, I did not think about what it would be like to ride a bike over this trail. If this is something that you're looking at doing, it's worthwhile if you get the opportunity to walk it first with the view to what is this going to be like if I do this on a bike. And that would have had quite a big impact on this overall trip. I exerted a fair amount of energy on this uh, this trip out. So again, 27.2 kilometres. I burned just on 5,000 calories according to my Fitbit. And while it may not be the most accurate measurement in the world, it gives me a good indication. And I certainly felt like I'd burnt that sort of amount of calories. Physically, the, the trip out really did take it out of me. I was a bit creative on the trip out there. From a fair amount of the track out, I actually stuck to the Canberra Centenary Trail, but I chose to go off track every so often simply because it made more sense and I avoided, a fairly, in one case, a fairly steep, uh, long hill, which I would have preferred to not have to go up. I also chose to stick to the walking trail and I went up a very steep hill, which required me to get off and push my bike up a, a hill that was probably only about... 400 metres long, uh, but it did take me a while because, you know, you didn't just have to walk uphill, you had to walk uphill pushing a bike at the same time. I ended up getting to the campsite uh, at around about uh, six o'clock and spent roughly around about 50 minutes having a rest, having something to drink and eat, uh, and then setting up my tent before I did a, a final recording for that day. Before heading off to uh, before heading off to having dinner and heading off to bed, the campground itself was for me. This is probably one of the rare occasions where I wasn't there with somebody else. Usually, I've I've been out there on a number of occasions and stayed there, and it's pretty typical that somebody else will be out there with you. Uh, and it did surprise me that that nobody was there. Mind you, I woke up at around about eleven o'clock at night because I heard somebody. Uh, and saw some flashing light and thought, okay, someone's turned up late and they're setting up a tent. Uh, and really what it was was a, a cyclist had just gone through and put their bike on a one of the concrete pads out there, uh, gone to the, the, the toilet, got back on their bike. I could hear them clicking with their, their bike shoes, their cleats, before heading off. And that, that surprised me. So someone was riding a bike at uh, 11 o'clock at night on this trail, which was an interesting concept. Had a reasonably disturbed sort of sleep. I think I'd uh, physically pushed myself so hard it was one of those disturbed sleeps, and I hadn't actually checked it, but it was a, it was a full moon that night. So by about eleven eleven thirty, it was almost like someone was shining a torch on my tent uh, because it was so bright. The next morning, got up, uh, stayed in bed, and just lay there and, and dozed before getting up and having a, a quick breakfast and putting my gear away and heading back to the car park because that's where Jill was going to meet me and, and take me back home again. The trip back was around about 40, 50 minutes and about four, four and a half kilometres. Uh, and I took a, a slightly different route going back on the Centenary Trail, looping around the valley. And again, there were a couple of occasions where I did actually need to get off track because I found that going downhill and both brakes fully locked and I'm still moving that's probably a good indication it's time to get off. And even though we had had a bit of rain over the last uh, couple of months and even over the last week or so, it was so dry and powdery, there was uh, some fine stone that it was hard to get traction on the trails themselves. So overall, there were a number of things I learned from doing this, this trip. Firstly, that um, my expectation of how much 
or how fast I was going to be able to travel on a particular track really is based on a, an assumption of uh, of road and management road travel rather than on on off trail travel. Uh, so that was something that you know, I. Uh, uh, it will, for me, uh, means if I ever do a trip again and I plan on doing a bike trip, I'll try and walk it first and see what the track is like and see what I think it's going to do. Um, so I'll certainly be working on a slower pace, particularly when you're traveling on single single track hiking trail. One of the things I forgot, and I don't can't believe I actually did this, I got up in the morning thinking, okay, it's summertime, it's not going to be 30 degrees today, but it is going to be warm I normally have a pair of Lycra fingerless gloves that I use when I'm hiking in the Australian Alps, uh, or I'm, I know I'm going to be using hiking poles. Uh, and in this case here, because my hands were basically horizontal on the handlebars, they were exposed to sun for long periods, and I did end up getting sunburn on the back of my hands. And I meant to get these fingerless Lycra gloves, and I just forgot about it. It just went totally out of my mind on the way out. So this was a piece of equipment that's definitely worthwhile considering, particularly if you're travelling in the warmer warm months of the year. Well, even in the cooler months of the year where there's sun out, you know, given the position of your hands. The gear that I had worked really well. Um, I uh, managed to get everything I needed to without leaving anything. You know, I didn't didn't leave everything at home and, and, and do it really uh, ultralight. I had my food in there. I had all my sleeping gear. Everything worked out really well in, in the uh, with the equipment that I had. I must admit there were a couple of things that I did learn with the gear. The small phone uh, pack, which sort of sits on the crossbar, did make it a bit more awkward from time to time getting on and off the bike, particularly on the bike. Uh, so I just had to learn to lean the bike over a bit further than I normally would do to get on. I'm not as flexible as I used to be, so that's something I have to do at the best of times. The other thing is the roll bag, which sits on the front of the handlebars. Uh, this was something I had been aware of anyway, uh, but it, it's definitely important that you don't interfere with the cables at the front. So it wants to be mounted across the handlebars and not inter, inter, impact the cable movement. Otherwise, your gearing is not going to work as efficiently as it should do. You won't be able to quite get into gear. Um, so I'd, I'd been aware of this and I had actually gone through and and tested this out and worked on this before I'd actually gone through and travelled. But yeah, the gear that I'd chosen and when I went the, the previous article and podcast on uh, introduction to bike packing, uh, I go through and talk about what the gear I did use and that worked quite well. I didn't need to use my torch, um, but again, I'd rather have had it than not just in case I needed to to be out at night time. The main thing, I suppose, from my perspective is the speed at which I travel, and certainly I think I'm probably better off working on the basis of travelling it at that five to six kilometres an hour, um, particularly if the trail is going to be a bit variable. If it's full-on management road uh, and it's good condition and it's not an issue and it's not a steep hill, certainly you'll travel a bit faster than that. But I will certainly work on a slower speed than I had previously thought that I'd go through and do. So having listened to um, the podcast, the on-trail recordings, and I guess some of the things that you were just saying, the thing that jumps out for me, and it's really like anything that you might do, is that you need to match uh, your skill level and your fitness level to the activity that you're trying to do. So uh, I think, you know, uh, you were were talking about – some of the ruts in the trail, 
some of the challenges of particularly going uphill and uh, needing to get off the bike, that probably says to me that the the trail itself wasn't a good necessarily a good match to the skill level and the the fitness level. It's it's it was doable, but perhaps not as enjoyable. So you know, there's this thing for for others when they're thinking about uh, getting out and and uh, at least starting to get into bike packing. It's thinking about the trail. You can't always walk the trail, and you can't always think about it in the context of the difference between walking and um, uh, riding. But I think, you know, if you're able to match those two things around skill and fitness level, I think you probably would have had perhaps a better time, Tim. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, you know, there, there were, you know, out of the 145-kilometre trail, there are uh, any number of other sections that are much, much flatter and smoother and much more amenable <laughs> to riding a bike. But, they, you know, being able to camp, you know, my other options would have either been to gorilla camp, which is camping where I'm not supposed to be, or staying in a, in a in a hotel, which wasn't the intent. So I could have come into the northern campground from the hall direction, uh, and in all honesty, that track is smoother and better conditions. I know that, uh, but uh, it's also longer, and it wouldn't have been so amenable. It would have been a much longer trip there from home. Uh, it probably would have added another 10 to 15. In fact, it would have added about another 15 kilometres to my trip, which is not something I actually wanted to do. So it's it's really, uh, as Jill said, is, is picking what is, is suitable. Uh, and, you know, if I had have chosen to do, say, 15 or even 20 kilometres, that would have made it much easier. It would, would have been a much more amenable sort of trip. So I, I'm... I mean, I suppose overall, I'm, I'm, you know, this for me is the something I'll do occasionally just to provide a bit of a break to hiking, particularly when I can't get further afield or there's limitations for whatever reason, uh, just to go for a ride. And as I said, I do typically do a number of these management roads around Canberra on bike. Uh, but for me, this was my first overnight trip. And again, it was more about picking the distances and picking the location that would have certainly gone through and helped. Okay, so overall, a good learning experience, and I think it's. I think the the big takeaway for me on this one, it's it will force me when I'm hiking to look at a trail and think about it in a different light. And even if I never go through and take a bike over that trail, I'll be thinking in future about what would this be like if I did. I mean, as an example, I don't, th- and I don't think you can actually do it. Um, you know, I wouldn't recommend taking a push bike on the Larapinta Trail. Um, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure that you can actually do that. No, but I mean, yeah, even if allowed or not, yeah, it wouldn't be the sort of track you'd want to do. That it wouldn't be an enjoyable sort of track. Yeah, um, but you did. You were talking about the Tasmanian track. Yeah, yeah, and and you thought that that it, it is a multi-use track, and you thought that that would be uh, when you were doing that. You thought that would be a good one to to explore on a bike. Yeah, I think it would be. There's a lot more management road. There's a lot more road sections, and it's you know you do have river and creek crossings, which you've got to get your bike across. So, providing the rivers aren't high, which means you're doing it during the summertime, I think it'd be a really good track to go through and do that on. And certainly, the sections of the track that I did uh, uh, late last year would have been quite amenable to going through and doing it on bike. So, this episode was really just to provide people with a uh, a bit of an overview of how I found first time overnight bikepacking. 
Um, and again, I think I'm sure the people that do it all the time and have the fitness and uh, uh, and are doing it regularly will probably find it a bit easier. But certainly, if you're looking at getting into bike packing, I would recommend going small, doing short overnight trips, even if it's just five or ten kilometers. Getting used to the gear first, and then sort of expanding from there on. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. We hope you've enjoyed. Bye for now, and bye from me.